Good afternoon. Yeah, I did. I was going to eat a little bit more, and then I decided, well, I'm afraid this afternoon I better come back. So I do have me a bowl of green beans up. No, I don't. So anyway, it's uh, good to be here and good to have the fellowship that we have. And it's good to see some people that haven't been able to be here for a while. It's good to see Rudine back with us, and it's good to see Irma, and uh, it's good to see Mark and them, so that's a good thing. It's good to see all of you here. It's great we can come together, and isn't it amazing that even in the scripture it says one of the reasons we come together is to encourage one another, and our presence alone uh, helps accomplish that because we're putting the Lord's will first. It's kind of interesting. We'll get to this passage here in just a moment. But if someone was to ask, tell them about Franklin County, well, we'd like to invite you over to worship with us sometime at Franklin County Church of Christ. We'll give them the address, 2601 Highway 100 in Gray Summit. And then they ask you this question, well, who are you? You ever think about how you'd answer that question? Who are you? Well, who are you guys? Now, without taking forever, and I'm going to take a little while because we're going to look at a sermon, but we ought to be able to answer that with a Bible, right? Who are we? Now, here's one thing I am so thankful God does. If you look at this, it says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. But look what he says. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life of God. What's he left out? He's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness through the true knowledge. So we're going to have to study something. We're going to have to read it through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and evidence. So we've got to be called, and we have to accept that calling. In other words, we have to become Christians. But he's given us everything, so we ought to be able to go right to the Bible and give us a passage to tell who we are. You know, someone asked me, well, who are you? You know, you might give them, my, my name's Kendall Fox. Or you might tell them, well, I'm Kendall Barry. Or I'm this, or I'm that. Hopefully the thing we're proudest of, well, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. The problem is when you say that, people have weird ideas of what a Christian is. Totally non-biblical concept. So I even get frightened to say that sometimes because they just think I'm in the gamut of it all, all of everything else. And so we really have to watch that. So not only do sometimes we have to explain who we are, we've also got to explain who we are not. And so I think about a few things, and one thing I think about, are we saved, or are we lost? And if you say you're saved, are you sure? The Bible's going to tell you who is for sure. So we'll look at a few passages, some of them we're very familiar with, and we'll get to some of them, but turn with me over to Matthew 7. Matthew 7. I'll mention a couple of passages, a couple of verses here in Matthew 7. But as you turn there, remember the words of Jesus down in 13 and 14. Enter through the narrow gate. What gate do we need to enter through? The narrow gate. So, so do we enter through the broad gate of so-called Christianity in America? No, we're not talking about that kind of Christianity, which is really not Christianity at all. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. 
It's easy to go down the way of destruction, the broad, easy way. And he says, and there are many who enter through it. So many, even many religious people, enter through a broad, easy way. But then he says, for the gate is small, the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life. And only a few find it. So they ask, who are you? We're few. What do you mean by it? Well, let me show you a passage. There's a broad, easy way that leads to destruction, and many, or most, go in that way. But there is a straight and narrow. And sometimes I say, man, you guys sure point that very narrow. I don't paint anything. I just tell you what the Bible says. You're very restrictive. I didn't restrict anything. God determines who's going to heaven and who's not. I'm just going to tell you what he said. Because he's given us everything. that You have everything in this book you need that pertains to eternal life and godliness. Everything. And we have to understand there's a broad... But some people, you know, they just want to... Well, I believe in God. Well, I think of James chapter 2. The demons also believe and shudder. But I also think of another verse here in Matthew chapter 7, a little later, verse 21. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. So just because you say you're a Christian doesn't mean, well, the proof's in the pudding, as I would say it. Um, but he that does the will of my Father. We've got to be doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude ourselves, as James also wrote. But we look, we've got to be, so it's not everyone. Not everyone's going to heaven. Did you know that? You listen to most people, they act like everybody's going to heaven except the worst people there is. Then I have to remind them, we looked at it in our class with the boys today, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know what? That includes me. So it isn't that I'm sinless and that I've never sinned. I would be a liar if I said that. We have to think who it is, but... Another passage we looked at this morning, you know, some things are impossible. Did you know that? Impossible. Let's go outside and you climb up on the roof and flap your arms and let's see you fly off the roof. You can jump off the roof, you can fall off the roof, but you're not flying off the roof flapping your arms. Your flight is short and it's just going straight to the dirt. It's no flight at all. So you think about that in Hebrews 11 and verse 6, it says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So we got to believe what the book says. Not parts of what the book says. we got to believe what the book says. All of what it says. Well, I think most people are going to heaven. Well, you would be wrong. Well, that's what I believe. Well, your belief is wrong. And I'm going to tell you it's wrong, not because I think it's wrong. It's wrong because what Jesus said, Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14. That's what he said. And so we have to hold on and remember that. And, you know, the big movement, it's been that way for a long time, maybe all my life. The common message, it seems like, in Christian religion in the United States, all you got to do is believe in Jesus. All you got to do is believe. And if they go any further, you got to believe in Jesus and accept him as your personal Savior. And you got to say this prayer. I'd still like to know where it says you got to accept Jesus as your personal Savior and pray this prayer. I still want to see that book, chapter, and verse. I just want to see it. 
Well, I know it's not in there, so they can't show that to you. Do I know faith is essential? That's an important word, essential. I ask people sometimes, what's essential mean? Essential means it's not optional. It has to be. So faith is not important. Faith is essential. It's past important. It's essential. So without faith, it's impossible to please God. We have to remember who he is and what he is about. We have to remember all kinds of things. And we have to remember even as he says in James 2 and verse 24, it's not faith alone. Faith alone is dead just like the body without the spirit. We have to hold on to those things. So how do you, okay, so who are you? Well, you know, how much money do I have to donate to become a member there? How much you got? No. <laughs> that ain't how you become a member. And you don't get to join it. So how do you enter the church? Well, that door's not how you enter the church. That door's how you enter this building. Jesus would say in John 3, I'll just hit the highlights of it, verses 3 through 5, you know you're going to have to be born again. you got to be born again. It, this is always amazing to me when people say this. Now, I know what they're trying to say. Well, I think I know what they're trying to say. I, I've decided I don't know what anybody's trying to say. I, I think I know what they're trying to say. But you got to be born again. People say, I'm a born-again Christian. You know you're just repeating if you're a Christian, you've been born again. And if you're born again, you're not a Christian. Is there another kind? Is there a Christian who's not been born again? No, I think not. He says, unless you be born again of water or spirit, you can't enter into the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. You can't do it. So there has to be rebirth, and it has to involve water and the spirit. Isn't that amazing? You think back to Acts 2 and verse 38 when he tells you you've got to be Baptized, you got to repent and be baptized in water, and you will receive the gift. There's the water and the spirit all in that act. Well, we've got to re- also look and see that as we were born again. Now, I'll tell you, look, turn with me over to First Peter one. First Peter one, um, verse three. We'll read through verse five. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again. You know, I was born. I know I was born. You guys might question me. I was born. And I was born in Wellington, Kansas. I know that because I've seen my birth certificate. I don't really remember it. That's just kind of funny. And uh, I know it happened on November the 20th, long time ago, 1958. I know it happened then because it's all... I know they spelled my middle name wrong, and my mom says, I don't care if they spelled your middle name wrong, we're not spelling that. So I've never spelled my middle name the way the birth certificate says, ever, on anything. Because she said, the nurse spelled my name wrong. She says, this is how I grew up, back then. So you look at that, so I was born. Now my mom always used to tease her and tell her she wasn't born. You ever heard people say, you weren't born, you climbed out from under a rock? Listen to this, my mom was born in rock, Kansas. So that's even more fun to get on her about. But no, you we look at this, you got to be born again. I was born then. I was born again later in Winfield, Kansas. 
on the corner of 8th and Lucas. I remember putting on these baptismal clothes they had then. They, was, they were kind of funny. They kind of looked like a straight you remember the more white ones? And the, the belt thing went around you, kind of folded it over and went around you. And, t- and it, it was always in a gown that had heavy sinker weights in the bottom of the neck or loose ends. So if you got loose, you'd drown. But I think about those. See, I can remember I remember that day well. I, I remember those little old ladies I thought was lying to me because they were telling me how great it was and how proud they were of me, and most time they wanted to slap me. But anyway, those sisters in Christ through the years been great encouragement. See, you can remember. See, I don't remember being born, but I remember being born again. And it involved water, because I got shoved under it, brought back out of it. And if it didn't involve the Holy Spirit, it was all a total waste of time. So we got to be born again of water and of spirit. So you look at this, it talks about here in uh, 1 Peter 3, Born again to a living hope through my resurrection? No, through the resurrection. All I was doing was reenacting what Jesus did for real. And he says, we are those who are protected. Well, don't let me back up to four. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away. That sounds like one I'd like. And it's reserved in heaven for you. A perfect one that never gets any wrinkles, never gets dirty never gets tarnished. It's perfect. Ladies, think what that would be like if every night you went to bed. And you say, well, the floor needs mopped, and the floor needs swept, and the laundry needs put away, and the iron needs done. I know lots of people like that. Iron needs done, or whatever. And when you get up in the morning, it's all done. And every morning when you get up, it's all done. It's just like the day you moved in. Every day, every day, every day. People say, man, I want that house too. That sounds like a deal. That's what heaven's like. It's all perfect every day. I know it's eternal, but every day. But you look at that, that's the inheritance waiting for us. I like that inheritance. It's reserved for us. He's talking about this great spiritual perfection. And then he says these people who've been born again, they are protected by the power of God. How strong is God? I think about that song we sing with the kids. My God is so strong. have to sing it again. But you look at that, when they come up and there's a big sea and we got to cross it up, we're in trouble. God says, watch this. Separates the water and you walk across. Oh, they're coming after us. How are we supposed to get into that big walled city? Just march around it. Blow some trumpets. Break some pictures, and the walls come tumbling down. I can tell you story after story through the Bible how people become fireproof and lionproof, one thing after another. I'm telling you, my God is more powerful than everything else put together. That's what I'm protected by, that power. Not physically, spiritually. Satan doesn't stand a chance as long as I draw near unto God, James tells us. He'll draw near unto me. So if I end up being taken by Satan, what was the problem? I strayed away from God. Because if I'm by him, Satan won't touch me. He can't. Because God is all powerful. That's who we are. We're those who are protected 
by the power of God. Oh, there's so many passages we could go to. I think about Galatians 3, verses 26 and 27. The idea of we've been baptized, we've been, we put on Christ in baptism. You know that put on Christ or clothe yourself with Christ, depending on your translation. Now, I know not everyone knew this, but if I ask everyone, when you were a kid, what was your favorite holiday? Everyone would come to different holidays. My favorite holiday as a kid, and many of you know this, was Halloween. It blew me away. I had people, adults, who would yell at me when my baseball went in their yard. Get out of my yard and all this. And on that day, I could go knock on their door, say trick or treat, and them jokers handed me candy. This is the best day in the world. People who want to skin me alive other days are giving me candy. Trick or treat. But I was kind of disguised and wore a mask. So maybe they didn't know who I was. Okay? So you think about that. Clothe yourself. You put on, you don't have the same appearance. We're not talking about physically you become different, but in every other way you become different. You've clothed your, you you become more and more like him. I love Acts 2.47. It talks about those who are saved. You know what Jesus does with saved people, every saved person? Jesus, you look at, matter of fact, I'll slow down. Turn over there, Acts 2.47. I want you to see it. Even though we can just rattle it off, I want you to see it. This is what Jesus does, the Bible tells me, with every saved person. Listen. Praising God and having favor with all the people, the Lord was adding to their number, or the church, the Greek word is ekklesia, day by day, those who are being saved. What was he doing with saved people? Jesus adds them to the church. What did he do? Every day, whenever someone becomes saved, Jesus added them to the church. How do you get to be a member of the church? You got to be added to it by Jesus. You know how you do You become saved. He tells you back up earlier, how to become saved, they obviously believe because then they say, what shall we do in verse 37? Peter then would tell them they need to repent and be baptized. About 3,000 of them did so. They become saved, and they're still doing that day after day. And Jesus adding saved to the church. Here's what I point out to people all the time. If Jesus, obviously here, one of his acts, one of his, if we want to use this, one of his jobs is to add saved people to church. If there's saved people outside the church, who didn't do his job? That Jesus, what is wrong with him? Now, you guys know I'm not pulling teeth on that. Because that's just ridiculous to think like that. There's not one, I'm telling you, there's not one saved person outside the church. If, they, if there is, Jesus, a failure. So that becomes so important. Now, people look at me like I got way more than three heads. They look like I must have 150 heads. What's wrong with them? Well, I just took you to the Bible and told you what the Bible says. This is so plain. And so, Who are you? I'm saved. How do you get saved? Well, we could do what the Bible says. The Bible tells you if we had time, we'd just read through the whole book of 1 John because the purpose of 1 John is so you can know you have eternal life. What a great book. I love 1 John. I don't know what my favorite book of the, the Bible is. It's somewhere between Genesis to Revelation. Okay? But no, but I love 1 John. I mean, I love 1 John. I love anything that can tell me how I know I'm saved. I know I have eternal life. But passages like this tell me when I become saved, Jesus adds me to the church. Now here's a passage. We've mentioned this. Ben's mentioned it before in a sermon. 
Uh, I've mentioned before in a sermon, both of us mentioned in sermons when we were talking on a friend and family day. Turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. I think so many people miss this. So many people. Our brethren miss this. He says, for even as the body is one. How many? How many? One. You need me to turn over to Ephesians to show you also said that when he says the body and church. There's one. There's one body, one church. And yet has many members. Oh, yeah, I see you out there. And all members of the body. That sounds like one body still, doesn't it? Whether Jew or... Uh, I jumped down to verse 13. <clears throat> so let's back back up. For even as the body is one, and yet has many members, all the members of the body, though there is one body. There's one body. Verse 13. For by one spirit we were all, what? Baptized into one body. How do you get into the church? You're baptized into the church. Well, what if I was baptized and I become a part of the church of the holy pig? Well, then obviously I'm not doing what this says. So what is going to have to happen? Well, I thought I was right. Well, you can think whatever you want. But once you realize you think you were right, but you see it didn't add you to the one body that practices New Testament Christianity, you know what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to be baptized correctly then. Your baptism doesn't stand. You were added to something wrong. You, you had joined to something that's contrary to the Bible. It's hard to get people to comprehend that sometimes. I can think about people, we went over it, and, went, and sometimes it took years for them to see that because they were baptized in this denomination or well, I was baptized 40 years in my sin. You know, there's, a, there's more than one denomination that teaches you're baptized for the forgiveness of sin, but they're not the church. They don't practice New Testament Christianity, and they're affiliated with some man-made beliefs. Therefore, that baptism can't be correct because it joined them to something else. I mean, it doesn't seem incredibly difficult for me to understand, but it seems like it's hard for lots of people to understand. But this one says... You're baptized into Christ, Galatians 3 and verse 27, at the same time, which is the same thing, you're baptized into the one body. So you don't become a Christian out here alienated by yourself. I've had people say, you know, I want Christ, but I don't want the church. That's impossible. You can't have one without the other. Christ, so you're going to cut the head off? I want the head. You know, let's say, you know, I really like this person. I'll just cut their head off, take their head. Is there going to be a problem there? As soon as you separate the head from the body, you know what? The head and the body dies. And you don't have anything. The head and the body, Christ and his church, will stand together and attach, listen to me, by the time we back all this up with Scripture, for eternity. And what a great and glorious picture that is. So turn back over to uh, Matthew chapter 7 real quick, where we started off. Told you we'd be back in Matthew 7. Jump back up to uh, verses 7 and 8. I think the world of this passage. Ask, ask. What did you ask? Oh, you didn't ask. That's kind of Maybe you should ask. You know, sometimes people won't ask. You know, let's say you send somebody in and said, okay, here, I want you to go in and get us some food so we can get out of here. 
and I want a burger with um, mustard and onions and pickles and nothing else. I'll put me some cheese on it. I don't want no ketchup on it. I don't want no mayo on it. I, I told you what I want on it. And um, give me some fries. And they go in to order all that, and they come out and I look, hey, did you look through this bag? Yeah. Did you notice I didn't have any fries? Yeah, I know. Would you go ask them? No, I didn't ask. Well, then we're not going to get the fries. You got to ask. So look what he says. Ask, and it will be given you. I don't know you need it. I'm not going to give it to you. Seek, and you will find. Who's going to find? Those who seek. Knock, and it will be open to you. Everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. Now, seeking, do we have to seek the truth? What if we don't seek the truth? Then you won't find. Now, I'm going to ask you an important question from this passage. Is this Jesus speaking here that's recorded? Is this kind of like a promise Jesus is making? So if people really seek to find the truth about God, will they find it? It'd be terrible. What if there's people out there that want to know the truth and can't? That can't happen. Now, you and I have the responsibility of taking it to them, but if you and I don't, God will find somebody else who will. Because it promises if you seek, you'll find. Now, you can't come with a bunch of preconceived ideas and say you're seeking to do it half-hearted and tell me you're seeking. You know, let's say, I don't know, you lose something, and you look for it for 30 minutes, and they know if you're going to look, and 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 you're not going to quit looking until you find it. So how long do we have to seek the truth while we're here? Quit thinking you've accomplished it. Keep looking. Keep seeking, and you will find it's it's. We've got to be active. Uh, you can even look back as we looked at in Acts 2. It's kind of interesting. Right after they became Christians, you'll see how active the church is in worship and spending time together, even having meals from house to house. They were actively involved with each other. Sometimes I think the detriment to the church today, the only time we ever see each other is Wednesday or Sunday on a service time. You never see them again. Isn't it amazing Listen to this. Have you guys ever heard of something called Alcoholics Anonymous? Have you ever heard of something called Weight Watchers? Okay, do you know they have regular meetings with their members? And do you know they know if you're going to be successful, you have to come to those regular meetings? Because it can't, because the chance of you being successful all by yourself is pretty slim. Do you know where they got that thought? That's a biblical thought way before either one of those two groups were ever established and any other groups like them. That's why we're not to forsake the assembling together as a habit of some. It's not because some organization on this earth become wise and coin some phrase about it. It's because God said so. Think about another passage. We'll start putting all this together. Just got a couple more verses for us to look at. I love this one. You guys remember uh, John 14, 15? Jesus says, if you love me, you get your ingredients. It doesn't say that. If it said that, then, man, I'm loving Jesus and green beans every day. If it said that, we'd all have green beans all the time. But here it says, here it is, if you love me, you 
will keep some of my commandments. You will keep my commandments like it's all-inclusive, all commandments. You will keep my commandments. Are some of them hard to keep? Some of them pretty challenging? Yes. But if you love him, you'll do it anyway. Why are you doing it? Well, I'm doing this so I can go to heaven. That's not why you're doing it. If you're doing it for that reason, you're doing it for the wrong reason. You're doing it because you love him so much that he's promised you an inheritance, a reward in heaven. So you're doing it just to show him, I, I love you so much, well, I'll do anything. Just to show, I can't believe what you've done for me and are doing for me, and I just want to show you, you just ask anything and I'll do it. Wow, that's over the top, isn't it? If you love me, let me tell you what. I can't remember who, who said the prayer, which prayer it was today. I remember it being said, so whoever prayed it, I appreciate this point a lot. I guess I ought to remember the prayer more than the person who said it. But, um, man, think about how much he loved us. He was reviled and did not revile in return. He went to the cross so that I might have, that's how much he loved me. And he loved me when I wasn't showing him any love at all. Wow. Has there been times in your life when you didn't deserve one smidgen of love God gave you? Oh, yeah. Way more times than we used to learn. Man, the more I learn about God, the more I learn about the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the more I love him. I mean, I just can't believe it. I think about things, I'm just crazy think about things all the time. I mean, I told you I see a sunrise. When I see the sunrise or a sunset, man, God, you are, I mean, I'm telling you what comes to my head. If I'm by myself, I might even say, God, you are amazing and great. I, can, I mean, I can see all kinds of things like that. I can see anything in nature, and it just reminded me of that. This morning, when I woke up and, when it started getting light and it was uh, still spitting some snow. I know not everyone likes snow. God gave it to me. I love it. People say, well, he gives you 100-degree weather. I guess I love it too, but I just haven't figured out how to appreciate it. No, but no, you look at that. We just love God. We love him so much. And everything I am and everything I have physically and spiritually are all gifts from him that I never deserved any. You know, God didn't get a hold of me before I was born and says, Kendall, where are you going to be born? Who, who do you want to be your parents? He didn't ask me any of that. God is an awesome God. Turn to one last passage. So when they say, who are you? Maybe this would be the best passage to take with us. 1 John, they might be a little bit overwhelmed with it, but 1 John chapter 3. I guess 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, listen to this in verse 10. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. So maybe I'll say, well, I'm going I'm to read a passage to you and you tell me who I am. Because it says the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness, where do I find out what's right? 
And it takes practice. What's that mean? You do it over and over and over. That's what you do over and over. Until it just becomes, you know, there can be things you do. Me swing a golf club, um, throw horseshoes, anything you do. And the more you do it, you get muscle memory. And your muscles, it, it does it without thinking about it. And you get mental, and, and you do it without even thinking about it. You know, I always used to think that was kind of funny. When I was a kid, I'd watch my mom make food. You know, she hardly ever makes food. I mean, I even looked at the recipe. They had made food. And when my mom, I'm telling you, when my mom, when it said a tablespoon, she just got a big old spoon. They're called tablespoons. Out of the drawer. And that's what she measured as a measuring spoon. That was a teaspoon. She used a regular spoon as a teaspoon. And you check them, they almost measure on the money. So maybe some old people knew something we didn't know. i got to have this measuring spoon. Just use that spoon. And you do a little bit here and a little bit. How much you put in there? Let me just do it till it looks right. Oh, boy, we're in trouble now. So we think about this. The children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. What do he say? Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. People that don't do the right thing are not of God. I don't care what they say. I don't care how many times they week they go to church. Nor the one who does not love their brother. Now I think the Bible will teach us that one. Teaches us we need to be kind to all people. But we need to give preference to them really. And we need to reach out to the world and the lost. We need to take them the gospel. But we need to prefer the brethren. You know, I think one reason we've got to remember to prefer the brethren. You know, if the plan works out the way I read it, i got to figure out how to get along with you if I'm going to have to spend eternity with you. Now, I know you'll be perfected then, so you'll be easier for me to put up with. No, no, you look at it. But we have, we have to understand that. We've got flaws and all that, but we're all pressing on, right? And we're all trying our very best. And when we stumble, oh, we looked at that last week. Two are better than God is great. Who are we? We're the household of God. We are the children of God. I used to be, I used to be in another family. I used to be a child of the devil. But I was bought with a prize. I was born again. And now I have an inheritance that's imperishable and will not defile away. But I've got to live righteously. Why? I love the Lord. If you're here this afternoon and you've not shown your love to God by confessing faith in Him and continuing to be baptized, you better get on with it. Because one day it's going to be everlastingly too late. And if you're a Christian and you haven't been who you should be, you can fix that today. We can go before God's throne and be perfected. If we can help you. Please come as we stand and sing.